Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail, and an episode not just like any episode. This is our one-year anniversary episode. Can you believe it, comrade? Oh, I broke in. I broke in inappropriately. Yes, truly, we're going to break the mold in this episode, aren't we? Yeah, I, I, I think something <laughs> like a train wreck is is pretty accurate to how it's gone. But uh, here we are a year later. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel after a lot of Cardinal games, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately. Um, not how I feel thinking about the last year, though. It really has been a, a great year. Uh, we didn't really quite know exactly what Zippy was going to look like long term when we started, or or what the format would be. We were just playing with it, but here we are, and and I have just enjoyed this last year so much. As have I, comrade. As have I. So we're starting out year two. We're here with you tonight on this very same date one year later that we had our very first episode that episode if you recall comrade we had a feature in it that i believe is going to answer a question i wanted to ask you which is what is your favorite subject that we've talked about over the course of this last year well i think we did a segment on taylor swift's album folklore um and that was my favorite segment i i know i'm the taylor homer on the podcast but then again you are too so that that was my favorite, and we've done some great ones as well. I know you're going to talk about, yeah. uh, but we we've done serious things, we've done lighthearted things, um, and it's been great all the way around. So hopefully, year two can match year one. I, I do hope so. Uh, you know, you and I were talking before the show. It would have been just fantastic if another Taylor's version had dropped uh, before this episode so we could begin year two exactly how we began year one, re- reviewing a, a Taylor Swift album. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We can speculate on it. Uh, but yeah, that that time with Folklore was was just fantastic. What a great album and what a great way to start this this podcast. Yeah, get it together, T. Come on, chop, chop. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, she only has released four albums in, what, the last um, 18 months or something like that, so... Yeah, maybe she's taking a break. I, I get it. So, uh, before we move on to, to my, my pick on segment, though, Comrade, what, what is your best guess at what the next Taylor's version is going to be? Oh, I think it's going to be 1989. Yeah, I, you know, the longer we wait, the more I lean that way. At first, I was pretty convinced by the, some of the clues that we're going to see Speak Now next, and I'd, I'd enjoy that. Um, seems like sort of the, the forgotten album. I know we, we both have an appreciation of it. Um, but it sort of feels like to Swift's albums, like Deep Space Nine is to Star Trek, where it gets forgotten. Like, it, you know, Deep Space Nine hasn't gotten a um, HD remaster, uh, alas. Um, but... Uh, Taylor's version of 1989 could really be quite something. Um, but the the ironic thing about that was it wasn't that long ago. So I wonder, you know, what changes she's going to make. Would she need to make a lot of changes? Uh, will she need to go on a lot of vocal adventures? Uh, will they need to clean it up a lot? Who knows? I yeah. wouldn't think so. But 
Do you realize, though, you said it wasn't that long ago. It, this really was hard for my mind to get around. 1989 came out eight years ago. That is, that is wild, yeah. It, <laughs> it feels like, yeah, it feels like it was just the other year, like a couple years ago. But it's really not. It was a long, it was a long time ago. That's two presidential terms. I know. Uh, I mean, the reason I think it feels more recent is we just can't seem to shake it off. <laughs> yeah, you would think I was 22 or something. I'm definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Only well, in my wildest dreams. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, I'm, I am drawing a blank space on how to respond to that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <sighs> Here we, you're cutting all this out. This <laughs> is uh. uh, no, no, no. We we have to subject our listeners uh, to all this. I mean, come on. This is this is prime zippy here. Oh yeah, look what you made me do. <laughs> <laughs> we have a reputation. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, anyway, uh, we have had some fun over the course of our episodes talking about Taylor Swift. We've talked a l- about a lot of serious things as well as you mentioned, and, and two segments that come back to me. These are our more recent segments, but two that I think have been meaningful in my mind. We we talked about church abuse a few months ago and how important it is that I feel like we keep talking about subjects like that as uh two uh as two believers. That is after all our, our, our motto here, we're two Christian guys zipping through the news and culture that matter to you and and that's something that's important for us to talk about. So that I, I was thankful we talked about it, and I know we'll talk about that more in the future. And then also, I, I thought that segment we did uh, not that long ago at all on disability was a, a really helpful and thought-provoking segment. And, and I really appreciate, Comrade, how you helped us to better think about that and what our role as, as Christians should be in 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 um, being helpful and meaningful uh, in our response to disability. So. Um, another subject I really do hope we we return to in the coming year. And I think just on that score with disability, and I can say it like this, is I never wanted to become an activist. I'm fond of saying that nobody likes an angry activist, um, even though they're necessary sometimes. Um, but as you live your life, as you go, and you confront the things that are in your way of flourishing uh, for for whatever reason. In in order to advocate for yourself, you have to make other people aware of what the problem is, what's in the way, and what would I like to do, and where would I like to go, and what's my contribution to society. So when you're when you're on the outside somehow, even if people don't mean it that way, you're forced to become an advocate for yourself in a way that you that you might not intend to, and constitutionally, you may not be inclined towards. You, you just say, well, I don't like fighting with people. I don't like making people uncomfortable. I don't like them making them angry at me. But especially disability is one of those things, and, and the marginalization is so so real, um, yes. even if it's almost imperceptible, that if you're in my position, you have to say something. So, But... I also want to say, let's do that from a Christian point of view. Um, I think that's one of the things that us Christians were concerned about these days, is that we're encouraged to confront all these social problems, but we 
we find so many people that are not confronting those things from a Christian worldview, taking the Christian message as true. And so that goes in a lot of negative directions and, and yeah, really unhelpful directions. So I'm going to split the difference. Yeah, I want to talk a lot about disability and being marginalized in that way, but I want to do it through the eyes of Christ if I can. That's so helpful, I think. And, and to me, that's part of what we've been trying to do on this podcast in general and something I love about the approach that we've been taking. And I don't mean this as a self-congratulatory thing for us as a podcast, but I hope it comes across to our listeners, and I hope that this is a helpful thing that we're able to contribute. We've taken on a lot of serious topics and ones that are are near and dear to your or my heart or both, but they are subjects that I feel like we've been trying to deal with in a way other than just contributing to the anger that we see in our culture on almost everything. And I hope that maybe in some way that then Zippy, as we go into year two, can continue to contribute to dialogue on these things in a way that's different. And I hope maybe that is something that we see more of, uh, not just here, but elsewhere. We desperately need to get away from the angry activism and instead rightfully advocate in places that need advocating, but in a in a different manner. And, and so that's something I, I love that we get to do here, and I hope that we do more of it. Yeah, I agree. We'll come back to this, I'm sure. I should mention the first sponsor for our show today, and that is faithtree.com grow. And at faithtree.com grow, you can see all kinds of devotionals and articles and other resources to help you dig into God's word, free of advertising, unlike this podcast. And you can interact with the community as well. We, we are currently in a series called Songs for Our Temple that has people from our local community, including the two of us, uh, Jason just actually shared this past week the latest of the Psalms that we're going through. You can go on there, watch the videos, and then you can interact in the comments and actually discuss throughout the week some of the different Bible lessons that are occurring. And, and that's such a, such a neat opportunity. Yeah, I agree. It's a wonderful gift. And thank you for facilitating all those ministries and the different aspects of of those ministries. It's, it's a real blessing to me to get to be a part of it. I, I, I love doing it. And I hope that our listeners, if they haven't already, will love it when they take part. So they should go to grow.faithtree.com. That's grow.faithtree.com. So speaking of online services, uh, grow.faithtree.com is here, and I, I expect it will be here for the long haul. But one much-hyped online service has gone down almost unimaginably quickly. And, Comrade, I'm sure you know what I'm thinking of there. Yeah, CNN Plus it, it was launched with a lot of fanfare, and they had a big get in Chris Wallace, formerly of Fox News, and then it just went nowhere. They had no one subscribed. And maybe uh, maybe what we're seeing is a streaming glut. There's lots of opportunities to stream things, and maybe people are just streamed out or they just don't want another thing that they have to stream. Uh, so CNN plus has folded, you know, and, and like you were saying before we went on the air, uh, they don't have, they didn't have a lot of really interesting offerings, especially besides Chris Wallace or stuff that was, was contemporary. They, they had some old stuff. Like you were saying they had Anthony Bourdain, 
Uh, we lost Anthony Bourdain several years ago. So it's like, well, you know, they're not going to be producing new ones. And then I don't know how a whole lot of people are rushing out to, to watch Don Lemon either. So you offer me Don Lemon and some old shows from Anthony Bourdain. And maybe Chris Wallace is a draw, but for how much money? So CNN Plus has gone down. And we were saying it's lamentable because, you know, CNN proper was the first entry into the cable news realm. And so to lose CNN or to have one of their ventures fail, you know, which damages the brand overall, would be a really negative thing. So too bad for CNN Plus. We'll see what happens with Chris Wallace. I think he's a good journalist, and I, I think he – Ended up with some unfair criticism from some quarters. But we'll see what happens with him and where CNN goes from here, I guess. It's interesting to try to kind of play that out, isn't it? Um, I I totally agree. Chris Wallace, to me, is one of the last true journalists, at least of a big name. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, people doing great journalistic work out there. But as far as you try to think of people on sort of a national stage that that most people will know there aren't that many left who who have the sort of respect I would put behind Chris Wallace and I realize over the last few years especially there's been more criticism of him from as you said certain quarters but but really if you look at it and I think this is something I've encouraged people on both sides of the political aisle to do when I have seen them criticize Chris Wallace is if you look at him he's he, he's probably doing something right because he annoys people if they happen to be watching him and he's interviewing someone that they like because he actually asks hard questions. And part of the thing that we've kind of lost in journalism is the idea that the people we watch or read should put even the people we like a bit under the fire. And so so to me, that's unfortunate. Um, I, I hope that there's still a following out there for that kind of uh, real hard news type journalism and and that maybe Wallace will settle somewhere else whether it's on CNN or elsewhere but it, it seemed like CNN plus didn't really know what it wanted to be because to me when I read about it the one thing that really made me interested in CNN plus was the opportunity to hear more from Chris Wallace I, I don't know if I'd find time for it I just don't have a lot of time to sit down and watch more television um, right I, I'm lucky if I get a you know if I tune into an old sitcom at the end of the night to kind of wind down or something, I, I just, I don't watch a lot of TV. I, I get most of my news by reading uh, news sources I respect online. Um, but, but that was a, 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 a appealing part of it. What was missing though, like you said, was much else. There wasn't anything else that drew me to it. And then on top of that, while they were offering a discounted two ninety nine a month plan, that would last the lifetime of your subscription if you subscribed as it started, what they didn't offer was any kind of free trial. So I remember going to the site in the lead-up, and it wasn't really clear that there was anything other than the fact that I knew that Chris Wallace was on it to make me want to subscribe, and much less if you waited past that, that initial promo and it was going to be $6 a month. For not much more than 6 bucks a month, I can get Disney+. Plus. And, and I realize it's not an exactly fair comparison, Maybe we watch too much entertainment and not enough news, although oftentimes it's hard to tell which is which anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was going to say Yes, I mean, it's even blurry there. And as long as it's blurry, 
why not subscribe to Disney Plus? Because Disney Plus has way more content just with the stuff they're putting out. The really, really good content they're putting out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm not much of a Star Wars fan, but The Mandalorian is is actually a lot of fun. They're, They're putting out so much good stuff over there. I can subscribe to that and have something to watch anytime I'm going to want to watch it. That wasn't going to be the case on CNN Plus. And, and there does seem to be this sort of streaming fatigue where you, you can only subscribe to so much, both, as you were saying, from a time basis and also from a money basis. It's sort of, you know, if you, if, if for example, you and I are both Cardinals fans. So if you want to be able to watch the Cardinals, you have a, a, a cable subscription or a pay streaming subscription that costs almost as much because only AT&T's streaming subscription has has the Cardinals. So you have that, and then you add on whatever the must-see streaming networks are, whether it's Netflix or or Paramount Plus or CNN Plus, obviously wasn't uh, successful at that, but you know they were trying for that. Hulu, Disney Plus, um, HBO Max, Peacock, you, you have so many of them now. Um, instead of looking at maybe zeroing in on a few subscriptions and saving some money, you're actually paying more than we ever were and you can't even consume all the stuff. So it sort of felt like CNN Plus was lost in that. I, I suspect, and I don't think I'm the only one to suspect this, but it looks to me, and I kind of wonder if this is where Wallace is going to come back into into play, that as Discovery swallows up Warner and you have this new Discovery Warner Brothers conglomerate, um, if we're going to see Wallace and some of the other CNN assets end up in HBO Max. They've already signaled that they want to merge Discovery Plus and HBO Max into a single subscription. I think that's wise. Again, because you can only subscribe to so much. Um, I kind of thought when they were launching CNN Plus that maybe they'd go the route that Disney has where you can get the Disney bundle where you get Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus if you want, or you can break it up and get parts. But but in any case, clearly it needs to be somehow be brought into a cohesive whole that people can afford and manage a little better. And and if they do that, that could be good. You and I were also talking, there's this interesting formation of uh, News Nation, which replaced WGN America. It's trying to claim to be almost like an old-style CNN, where where it's more about news and less about talking heads screaming at each other. I'd love to see Wallace and a few other big names end up over there, and maybe maybe there's actually some um, gravitas provided to that network so that maybe there's a genuine real news network out there again in, in the United States. That would be great. But, you know, uh, as a friend of mine likes to say. And this is a little bit of a funny thing, uh, but my my friend, uh, one of my dear friends, he grabbed uh, NHK World, which was an app on a smart TV for, for the Japanese TV network, the news, the news channel, because he wanted a different perspective on the news. And certainly if you go to international news from some country like Japan, you're going to get a different perspective on the news. Uh, but the funny part of the story was he got really into sumo wrestling. And I, I may have mentioned this on the show before, but we got really into sumo wrestling because he was trying to uh, trying to get a different perspective on the news. Uh, and he went to the Japanese network in order to do that. So um, maybe we can look internationally as as some of our news becomes more partisan. Uh, maybe some folks wouldn't even think that that would work because depending on the country you chose, 
you'd have the same ideological problems. Who knows? Uh, but I thought that was interesting, and and I do and I do have the NHK World app on my smart TV now. Uh, I haven't watched any news on there though, just the sumo wrestling so far. Mm-hmm. So this is a weird segment. This is going to be a weird segment when we put this in the show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe our listeners should wrestle with that a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, all, all kidding aside, um, there are weighty matters that you can catch if you check out international news. I, I, I like uh, the BBC news online at least, and I know our colleague Dennis Powell likes to tune into Sky News if he wants to see what's really going on, as he says, because you know, whether you're watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. Uh, they're so sensationalized and so focused on whatever they think is going to get ratings. It's not often really news coverage anymore. So he'll, he'll say that he'll hear about something on our cable news and then tune to Sky News. So something for people to think about. Clearly, CNN Plus could have had some potential there, but I think clearly at the same time, it didn't work. So we'll see what, what the future holds for news in the United States. But apparently CNN Plus will not be part of that. Ah, yes. Okay, so the other thing that's happened uh, is that we had we had spoken on a previous episode about Elon Musk possibly buying Twitter, um, and he did it. So for, I think, a purchase price of $44 billion, Elon Musk is in control of Twitter. Uh, so I, I kind of was shocked by this. Uh, we, we had chatted before about the shareholders kind of introducing a poison pill or the company introducing more shares to prevent him from from getting it but it seems like uh they valued the cash more than more than keeping elon musk out so now he's in control of twitter uh what are your thoughts on that comrade well um i'm i'm encouraged and excited and i realize that might send some political signals i'm not trying to send as you know i try to stay politically neutral as much as possible on this show. And it seems like this is the odd thing to me, and it maybe ultimately testifies to why I'm excited about Musk and also shows what I believe is wrong with our culture. Um, It it seems like because Musk is pro-free speech, um, people are taking him that, that this is, you know, like some kind of weird move to revive at real Donald Trump on Twitter or, or that sort of thing. And, and so I, I'm hearing a lot from my left-leaning friends that this is, you know, this is about the worst thing that could possibly happen, that, that Musk is taking over Twitter, which is funny because Musk doesn't neatly fit into a, our political spectrum in the United States. He's really sort of a, a libertarian of sorts um, who is actually quite socially liberal, um, conservative on on certain fiscal issues, but he just doesn't fit neatly. And, and in a sense, that that part encourages me because it's nice to think about maybe Twitter being controlled by someone who doesn't fit either of our very polarized political segments. I think that could be a good thing. But more importantly, I'm encouraged because I, I think Musk actually means what he says on free speech. And I know there's been some criticism because Tesla is secretive um, and doesn't enjoy when its employees speak out. But but I feel like that's muddying the waters unnecessarily. Um, there's a difference between wanting to control what your employees are saying about your your high tech company, um, 
and wanting to create a platform that facilitates free speech. Those are two different issues, I believe. And I, I think it's sort of disingenuous how people have been trying to, to use that to smear Musk. Um, generally speaking, I'm excited because as Musk has said, and he's right about this, in some ways, Twitter has become our digital town square. It's where people go for breaking news. I found far better coverage, for example, what's going on in Ukraine by finding some good sources to follow on Twitter than if I listen to, say, Fox News. If I tune on to tune into Fox News a day after something's happened, they have a Fox News alert and say, breaking, something's happened, and I think something new's happened, and I realize, no, I read about that on Twitter 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago. Yeah, let, let me say it this way. Let me get the fun stuff out of the way first. Um, for me personally, if the former president wants to come back to Twitter, um, I'm all for it. Because we, we've talked about this before, that there there's not a proportion. You know, the Russian government and Vladimir Putin is on Twitter. And for all I know, North Korea as well. And the former president uh, is not. So yes. that's there. There's a loss of perspective there that I that I that I don't quite understand. And that's even given the fact that his you know, the former president's behavior on Twitter was appalling uh, uh, as the president. Uh, but to me, those are those are two different issues. How should how should a high public official, the highest in the land, behave? And what can we do to fil- facilitate communication with the public and or uh, fail to facilitate communication with the public? Uh, because, you know, like him or not, the former president, he kind of turned Twitter into his his version of the fireside chats. The war against misinformation, I think, is a good one. But who gets to decide what misinformation is? Uh, and those are bigger questions uh, that we've wrestled with a bit on the show. So yeah. uh, if if Musk wants to bring the former president back to Twitter, I'm good with it. Uh, we'll see how firm his commitment to free speech in, in general is, and that'll be worth looking at. And again, I want to say, despite my views about about economic imbalances and, and how negative that could be at the extremes, I will also say that I don't, you know, I don't come natively built with hostility to billionaires. You know, there's a lot of that floating out in the culture right now. Um, the, oh, the billionaires are at it again. Um, right. This guy, this guy, you know, what, despite his character, you know, or whatever you could say about his character, he's doing stuff. He, he's got Tesla and he's got SpaceX and he's built that that tunnel, that boring company you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, who am I to be really bent out of shape about uh, another billionaire doing billionaire things? I mean, Richard Branson from Virgin he does all kinds of crazy things, and that's just what billionaires do, I think. And I think it's a different discussion than if we come back and say, okay, what is creating these massive imbalances between, say, the super, super rich and and the poor, and uh, what is the government's role in that? Those are all separate issues um, besides having a like a personal animus towards a billionaire. I think those are two different things. So uh, good for Elon Musk. Hopefully, we will get some free speech out of this because I do because I do believe in a certain sense that uh, 
in an American sense that the cure for bad speech is better speech. So uh, let's do that. Right. Instead of, uh, instead of silencing each other. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it will be interesting to see how he handles that. Um, as you said, it, it, I mean, well, we haven't seen anyone manage it well, I think is part of what the issue is going up to this point. Right. Because on the one hand you have networks that I think may have been, um, heavy handed and heavy handed in a way that seems to lean, uh, towards their own inclinations politically. Um, yeah. like you said, I mean, on the one hand, I, I defended Twitter to an extent when it made some decisions after, uh, January 6th, because it seemed to be trying to be somewhat consistent, but the, the, the mind boggling part is that there is any remaining Russian government accounts when the whole Russian government is being used to commit genocide. If if you can commit genocide and have an official mouthpiece on Twitter, virtually anyone should be able to be on Twitter. And so there needs to be care to consistency. And Musk has said, for example, that he doesn't want it to become a platform for hate speech. But I think maybe he has some better approaches, such as time-limited bans, where, you know, if you if you violate the policies, you'll be removed for a period of time, which may be more practical, especially as we see some of these bans make more sense than others. And in an era when this is the way that people communicate, the chilling effect, if you get banned and it doesn't seem to be genuinely fair, is huge. Um, and so we need to think about that. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing of Musk so far on that in the other way that he's been able to demonstrate it, which is Starlink, uh, his his internet endeavor with SpaceX, which has been used to great effect to help the Ukrainians to provide reliable internet as Russia bombs their infrastructure. And so he's been clearly pro-Ukrainian. He's done a lot, I think, both publicly and behind the scenes to help Ukraine. At the same time, he's come under pressure that he said publicly to to block all Russian information on uh, the Starlink network to stop them from uh, stop people from accessing Russian news sources and so on via Starlink. And he's refused that because he says he's a free speech absolutist. And to an extent, um, I do respect when people say I have an opinion and he's made it very clear that he's on the side of the Ukrainians. And yet I'm going to allow the speech that I find distasteful because I don't think that I'm going to solve anything or make anything better by simply limiting speeches. It's right back to what you said. So, so that gives me some hope. While we're on the subtopic of, of Russia and Russia's involvement in the world, I do want to say that Wimbledon's decision to ban uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes from, from Wimbledon, and I, I think the, the other major tournaments in tennis will follow suit, is short-sighted. Um, and it's terrible. I, I think, you know, Daniil Medvedev uh, is the number two ranked player in the world, and, and he's Russian. And every, every tennis fan on this planet wants to see Daniil Medvedev. So there's no reason why he should be banned from Wimbledon just because he happens to be Russian. Uh, so some of those bans I, I don't agree with. Um, and... Hopefully the war will end, and so they will end as well. And I just feel so sad for him and those other Russian players and Belarusian players that won't be there. Yeah, that's kind of a challenging um, 
situation. What do you say? I mean, I, I think part of what's driven this is the fact that these sporting competitions can often be used as a platform for the countries the athletes come from. And, and we saw some of that fairly early in the invasion where um, players were putting uh, Zs on their their uniforms if they were coming from Russia or or using it as a way to find some way to humiliate Ukrainians. Um, so there's a challenge on the one side there and a challenge on the other side that it's really a shame that players that may not even support the war but just happen to have the misfortune of being from a country that's doing unjust things suddenly uh, are are cast out for their nationality. Um, I don't know what the, the right solution is there to try to stop the one without doing the other. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, and I and I don't want I don't want to necessarily say that the world in general is is overreacting because what Russia has done is absolutely appalling. But in another sense, there's a just a spasm of anti-Russian feeling, anti-Russian sentiment. Um, and it may not be helpful in all respects. Yeah, so and that kind of does bring us back to what I think Musk's vision for Twitter is, isn't it? Um, again, more of a space where, where speech that we both appreciate and speech we find distasteful can be because we're better off having free speech rather than limited speech. And so I'm optimistic there. I'm optimistic in general that Musk, as eccentric as he is, whatever he seems to really put his energy into seems to actually push things forward in a positive way. Um, I kind of doubt that we'd have electric vehicles that were nearly as intriguing and appealing as we do, if not for Musk and Tesla. Um, You have to wonder if, if America could actually send someone to the International Space Station or bring them back without dependence on Russia, speaking of Russia, if not for Musk and SpaceX. So I'm optimistic, and we'll have to see. But, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, and and I really think that there could be some good things coming for Twitter. At at the very least, I don't think it could be any worse, uh, because Twitter has been clearly um, devolving, not improving. Yeah, I guess... I guess we're pretty pro Musk on the podcast here today, and we're just going to have to live with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything you've said so far. Well, one of the things that's been a challenge for Twitter has come down to how to get sponsorships, and that is a challenge for every organization that's commercially sponsored, and here at Zippy the Wonder Snail, we are sponsored by several different ministries, including Biblical.com. And the challenge with Biblical.com is not whether we should be sponsored by them or not, but can you solve the daily word? And I have to say the last few weeks, some of them have been quite challenging as it digs deeply into five-letter words in the Bible, which include an awful lot of names that only occur once or twice. It will definitely test your biblical knowledge. But if you like Wordle and other Word-A-Day challenges like that, you should check out Biblical.com and its sister site, Anagrammal.com, two different fun Biblical Word-A-Day challenges, free of advertising, free of any interference from the New York Times, unlike Wordle. You should check them out, and you can get to both of them by going to Biblical.com. of you that that know me from other parts of the online world or in real life know that I have been working on 
a church plant with a group of wonderful, dedicated folks that uh, God has brought together. And we launched last week. That was such a joy. And one of these episodes, we're going to probably talk more about the experience of of getting that church off the ground. It was so nice to actually launch in person. We've been doing online things for the last couple of years, which have been amazing in their own right. But as we launched in person, the question was, where should we turn to in Scripture for our first sermon series? And the answer that seemed to fit best was, why not go to Jesus's most famous sermon and go through it? And that's the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a wonderful set of lessons from Jesus, and it starts with the Beatitudes. I, I started preaching from the Beatitudes this week. We're going to have a number of other familiar names preaching over the coming weeks, including my comrade Jason and Jim Krenning, who has also been on the show. And so Jason and I thought we'd maybe just hang out in the Beatitudes for a few minutes as we wrap up this anniversary episode of Zippy. And Jason, what what thoughts do you have as we reflect on that opening to the Sermon on the Mount? I think there's a couple of interesting things that Jesus does. One of the things that I want to highlight is that he sits down. Uh, He sits down, and then he begins to teach. And that's Jesus' way, uh, in the context of the time, recognized as a rabbi, okay, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to teach authoritatively. Uh, And several times when Jesus would would give the Beatitudes or, or follow up on something in the Beatitudes, the people would say, he teaches with authority and not like the scribes and Pharisees. And so there, there's a credibility to Jesus. What Jesus does is he, he knows the conventions of the time. He knows what he needs to do to be recognized as a sort of teaching authority. But the way he teaches, he teaches with simplicity and clarity. Um, and, and I think when, when there was criticism of the scribes and Pharisees, that's, that's what you're talking about. There's a lack of simplicity, a lack of clarity. And I think also you can find uh, you can find most of the Beatitudes in the book of the Psalms, actually. So they're not new. But the other interesting thing Jesus is doing is he's centering those Beatitudes around himself. You know, so again, this is important. Jesus is not setting himself up just as like a moral teacher a good teacher or, or like a wisdom teacher with, you know, clever things to say. But he's like, I'm here and I'm going to share with you a new thing. And the new thing is going to be centered around me. So it brings us back to who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. And then he's, he's changing what was given to Moses uh, in his unique way but without changing the law, the Ten Commandments, those kinds of things. So the fulfillment of everything that came before, but being centered around Jesus himself. And I probably ruined all the sermons now uh, coming up in the series. But boy, there's something about Jesus, isn't there, Tim? There really is. And no, you, you actually didn't. Uh, we we touched on something similar on Sunday night as, as I opened the series, looking at sort of the setting and I think what you bring up about Moses is so interesting because, and people have debated a little bit how much we should read into this, but not only does he sit down as an authoritative teacher, but he also does it on a mountain. And in, in the biblical imagery, 
that we see, and certainly what we associate with Moses, going up to a mountain to receive divine teaching has a very clear connection to the law. And so, I, I think your connection is, is so helpful when we're thinking about this, because this this is the sort of stuff I believe the, the, the disciples, as they are hearing these Beatitudes, and they're hearing the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, they're thinking about that too. You know, this isn't just hey, Jesus sat down while they were on a nice nature hike. This is something more than that. And and I think the fact that the Gospels don't spend a lot of time on just extraneous detail gives us a sense that this is meaningful, that Jesus sits down and he sits down on a mountain. And like you said, this isn't a complete revision of the law. He's not throwing away what Moses had taught. He's not throwing away what the prophets had taught. Rather, he's bringing it together and showing it how it is fulfilled in the kingdom that he's ushering in. And so there's there's a lot that's interesting there in that, um, and what's striking to me is like is like you said it's not new, and yet I think because it's so contrary to where we want to be oftentimes in our own human nature, it it feels new, and it feels new, new whether you're a Jew sitting there hearing this after hearing the rabbis teach back two thousand years ago, or if you're here today and you're listening to it. Because we tend to want to tune out that stuff that challenges our own impulses. And the Beatitudes challenge a lot of them because the whole framing of what what is a blessed state or a happy state is so contrary to what we often think is going to make us happy. And it, it's interesting because the crowd seems to respond positively at first, but when they're actually confronted with what does it look like to actually live this. Is he really serious about this? Yeah, he said, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the persecuted, all these sorts of things. But isn't he still going to overthrow the Roman government? And I think you see some of that wrestling in the people as you see so many fall away in the chapters after that in the Gospels. And it's the challenge for us today as we come before the God's Word. Are we going to let it challenge us? Because we have those same exact impulses today that we want power, we want success, we want health, we want everything to go our way. Are we willing to actually allow Jesus to say, but that's not what's going to make you ultimately happy. That's not what being blessed ultimately looks like. It looks like being in accord with the kingdom, and that's a very, very different thing. Um, and I'm going to uh, beat this drum as long as I'm on this podcast and, and everything else I do, but there's something else special and worthy of not forgetting about that word blessed is that you could take the the rule or the command in the beatitude and go, wow, that's really hard. And you and you mentioned that it's hard; it cuts against the grain. But the reason he uses the word blessed is because the strength to do all those things comes from God and comes from God's grace. So it's true that it's calling us to radical living, but we're not called to radical living in our own strength because if it was. We wouldn't be able to do it, or I guess grammatically correct, I should say, if it were. Um, but either way, if I'm gra- grammatically correct or incorrect, it's all by grace, and it will always yes. be by grace. And that that's also the mystery of the Beatitudes, because like, then you go, well, what is grace? And then how, how do I get more of it? And uh, Or, you know, even if it's not a substance, like, well, let me do that, you know? And if right. we feel ourselves being called toward seeking that grace, then uh, we've got to implore the Father 
through Christ and, and implore the Holy Spirit to give us that grace. Um, cause we don't, we don't possess it in and of ourselves to do any of the things that Jesus is asking us to do. But then he says, uh, later on, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, when, when we're looking at this, sometimes it's like, Jesus, how can you say that your burden is light? This is crazy. But it's through his grace. We live not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I will be done preaching now, uh, but that's something we will we'll get into that in the sermon series, and it'll be great. But yeah. that's something we need to keep in mind all the time. Absolutely. Uh, and I sometimes feel like I say absolutely too much when I'm agreeing with you, but this is a just, you know, amen. You, I could not possibly say that better. Um, to me, that's one of the things that's helpful reading the Sermon on the Mount, because if we really soak it in, it does show us how incapable we are of living in a God-pleasing way without His grace. Um, you know, too many times we come like those who were opposing Jesus, and we, we, we're looking for those loopholes that are going to allow us to declare ourselves as holy enough. And, and this really is a challenge to us that we're not going to accomplish that. But we don't have to. Jesus is going to work in us. His Spirit is going to work in us and transform us and enable us. And um, that that gives an answer to those who look at the church and say, why is it so hypocritical? Because it doesn't live this well. Well, it's because we're, we're works under construction. We're not there yet. The Spirit's working in us. It's, the Spirit isn't done with us. He, he's still, still working on us. Um, but it also gives us hope as Christians, and it lets us know as Christians, too, that we should be seeking after the things of the Spirit, and we should be striving to be different than the world. And when we can't get there, we don't we don't just you know go away dejected and distraught that we fail. Um, but we also don't try to lower the bar so somehow we can meet it and say we've accomplished something. Rather, we soak in this teaching of the kingdom and look for how God is going to come into our lives and enable us to do it. Amen, Pastor. Well, um, here we are at the end of this anniversary episode. Once again, just it's sort of mind-boggling to me, but here we are. We are at year two of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I hope for all of our listeners that this first year has been a blessing and a joy to you. We certainly have a lot of fun producing it and sharing it with you. And so if you haven't already please do subscribe. You can go to zippythewondersnail.com and find links to all your favorite podcasting stores, or you can just go directly to whichever one you use for podcasts. We are every place that finer podcasts are sold or rather given away because we don't charge anything. And of course, at zippythewondersnail.com, you can also find all of our past episodes. This is episode number 24. What an amazing year it's been. What a joy this has been. And we can't wait to see what is ahead in the next year. We will be back with you in the coming weeks and months, sharing more news and culture that matter to you, two Christian guys. Jason, it is always a joy, comrade, to share this conversation with you. Thanks again, Tim, and we'll do it again real soon.